Hey there, welcome to LiveWire. I'm your host, Luke Burbank. This week on the show, we're going to be talking to one of the most decorated American runners of all time, Lauren Fleshman, who won five NCAA championships at Stanford and then two national championships. We're going to talk about her debut book, Good for a Girl, My Life Running. Then we're going to chat with comedy writer Joey Clift about his new digital series, Gone Native, on Comedy Central, which delves into the weird microaggressions that Native people often deal with. And then we're going to round things out with some music from the incredibly fun Seattle indie supergroup, Who Is She? And we're going to get the scoop on what really happened when they sang an unflattering lyric about Jeff Bezos at an NHL game at Seattle's Climate Pledge Arena, which was named by Amazon. We've got a great show this week, so stick around. It all gets started right after this. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of LiveWire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you can call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, Elena. Hey, Luke. How's it going? It's going actually really well this week. I had to take a minute to Mm. consider. I like to be honest with you at the top of the show, but I can report it's going really well. Are you ready for a little station location identification examination? Well, now I am. (laughs) Now that you know things are going well for me? Yeah. uh, This is the part of the show where I quiz Elena on somewhere in the country where Livewire is on the radio. She's got to guess where I'm talking about. Now, there's some bird notes in these clues. And I'm thinking that might help you because you are, you're the biggest bird expert that I know. Now, first thing, the city that we're talking about is actually pretty young. It was only incorporated in 1999. And it is in fact spread across 13 islands. Hmm. There are some, some hard to find birds that like to live in this city, or at least pass through the Antillian nighthawk, gray kingbirds, black whiskered Vireo and burrowing owls. Is it a Florida key of some sort? It is the key of Marathon, Florida, where we're on WKWM. You've done it again, Passarello. (laughs) Uh, So shout out to everybody tuning in down there in Marathon. Uh, Should we get to the show? Let's do it. All right, take it away. From PRX, it's... This week, runner and author Lauren Fleshman. 
sports are built around the male body and male performance norms is that you work harder, you get better, you know, you get out what you put in. But for female-bodied people, when we go through puberty and our bodies change, we have a different normal. And comedian and writer Joey Clift. The Venn diagram of LA comedians to pro wrestlers, there's a small amount of bleed over. There's a few wrestlers <laughs> who do comedy, there's a few comedians who do wrestling. With music from Who Is She? and our fabulous house band. I'm your announcer, Elena Passarello, and now the host of Livewire, Luke Burbank. Hey, thank you so much, Elena Passarello. Thanks to everyone tuning in all across America, including all the way down there in the Florida Keys. We have a really fun and fascinating show in store for you this week. Of course, we asked the Livewire listeners a question in honor of our guest, Lauren Fleshman, who is just an incredible record-setting runner type. We asked, what record would you like to break? And we're going to hear those responses in just a few minutes. First, though, we've got to get to the best news we heard all week. This is our little reminder at the top of the show. There is some good news happening out there in the world. You just have to look for it. Elena, what is the best news that you heard all week? Listen to this amazing story from Fakir, Virginia, where there's a fifth grader named Liam at Pearson Elementary. And a couple of weeks ago, Liam was being a good student and looking through his textbook. Their fifth grade class had recently been talking about the rock cycle. Do you remember the rock cycle? (laughs) That's like when he asks if you can smell what the rock is cooking? Yes, that's exactly right. Okay, they're teaching that in school now. Interesting. Yeah, it's a pro wrestling unit that all fifth graders in America have to go through. Sure. I would actually believe that, but okay. I don't remember the rock cycle, but I remember that there are three different types of rocks. Igneous, metamorphic, and sedimentary. And each one, I guess, goes through the rock cycle at different times. And Liam was looking through his textbook at the rock cycle part, and he noticed that the entry with the picture for the igneous rock fit the description of the sedimentary rock and vice versa. So the textbook had actually gotten the illustration and the descriptions wrong, so he went and talked to his teacher, Miss Porter, and bless Miss Porter's heart, she did what I would have done. She was like, oh, I must have taught it to him wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, she assumed that she had just misguided the students as opposed to creating super students. Right, right. She actually was making some of the most amazing fact checker students in the, on the planet. So she did a little further research and she confirmed that, no, she taught them right. The hmm. textbook had it wrong. And so she called her instructional lead person. They got in touch with the textbook textbook company and the textbook company Five Ponds Press wrote a handwritten letter back to Liam thanking him for being so vigilant and then Liam got shouted out in his school superintendents basically his equivalent of the best news at the right? school district there it's called mm-hmm. three great things and <laughs> My favorite part about this story is Miss Porter sort of bragging on Liam and then she says he is easily one of the smartest students I have and he sees Uh, He has no problem pointing out when he sees something that's wrong. (laughs) Apparently, he doesn't mind correcting her (laughs) several times. (laughs) Uh, This has put some wind in his sails. I think that hand is going to be permanently up Tracy Flick style for the rest of the school year. Well, you know, my French textbook in high school said that a picture of Catherine Hepburn was a picture of Audrey Hepburn. And I told my French teacher and she didn't do anything about it. She was like, sit down and do your homework. So I'm just glad that the system is a little more open for these kinds of Tracy flicks. We can get, you know, we can get good, accurate information from all kinds of places, including even maybe the, the students. 
The best news that I heard this week actually came sort of from last weekend, but I'm including it. I don't even know if it's the best news, but it was maybe the most funny thing that I saw. I don't know if you saw this, Elena, but you know, Weekend Update on Saturday Night Live, it's sort of co-hosted by Michael Che and Colin Jost. And it just so happened that last week's episode fell on April Fool's Day. And so Michael Che somehow told the audience when Colin Jost wasn't there yet to not laugh at his jokes, <laughs> to not laugh at Colin Jost's jokes <laughs> as they're about to go on live national television. I want to play you what it sounded like when Colin Jost told a joke. Okay, like Trump this. will reportedly surrender next week, but his lawyer Joe Takapina, who Trump definitely calls Joe Tapioca. <laughs> said that the president will not be put in handcuffs, though he would consider wearing fake breakaway handcuffs and a Superman t-shirt. So it's kind of a tepid response. This is what it sounded like when Michael Che told a joke. <laughs> Trump is reportedly being charged with 34 counts of business fraud. Business fraud is also what they call the Trump costume at Spirit Halloween. <laughs> it's president like Biden a torrent of laughter. You can watch Colin Jost just melting on live television. <laughs> this is the point where Michael Che finally had to explain to Colin Jost what was going on. Uh, I told them not to laugh at you, Fairful Fool. <laughs> Basically, the entire rest of the weekend update just was canceled because they were just laughing so hard. <laughs> All Colin Jost could talk about was how traumatized he was by this. He thought his mic wasn't on. Aww. He started profusely sweating. I mean, that must be a literal nightmare that someone like him has had in his past, right? Right, a stress like, dream. It's yeah. certainly a stress dream that I have. And mostly why I'm bringing this up, Elena, is because this is my formal request to you on the show that you never do this to me at a taping of Livewire because my fragile <laughs> ego would never recover. Like that feeling of just being out in space as a performer and you're oh, saying yeah. jokes that you know should elicit at least some kind of response and it's not happening. I mean, again, yeah. I hope he didn't break Colin Jost with this, but it was pretty funny. Well, I mean, the one cure for that is to teach young people because mm -hmm. I have dropped so many jokes that have been met with complete crickets <laughs> chirping that April Fool's joke would be fine for me. So you're now, you're basically immunized against bombing in front of audiences because sometimes in your role as a college professor, you've had this experience, except Michael Che didn't tell your students to not laugh. Yeah, it's just the way that they are or the way that my jokes are, yeah. <laughs> that is the best news, weirdly, that I heard this week. All right, let's invite our first guest on over to the show. She's one of the most decorated American runners of all time, having won five NCAA championships at Stanford, and two national championships. Her debut book, Good for a Girl, My Life Running in a Man's World, is part memoir, part manifesto regarding the treatment of women in sports, which is something she knows all about. Publishers Weekly calls it a rousing call to action. Take a listen to Lauren Fleshman, recorded at the Holt Center in Eugene, Oregon, right here on LiveWire. Lauren, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, when did you figure out that you were just way faster than like the other kids? <laughs> uh, I just grew up in a neighborhood full of kids and like all these dead end streets and 
we played disorganized sports all the time, and um, and I was hard to catch. So I, you know, for a wide range of ages and kids, so I was like, I'm pretty good at this. And then I stole a lot of bases in softball. So yeah, it's always been a source of pride. And you were um, you write about in the book that your school would for gym class you'd run the mile like every week. Yeah. Which, by the grade. way, it sounds way more. We were juggling scarves. <laughs> At Daniel Bagley Elementary School. <laughs> I don't know what was going on in Southern Cal, but like... Yeah, you're probably more coordinated than me then, but um, mm, I'm faster, I Debatable. Guess, but. but like you were running that mile and were you just beating everybody back then too? I was, I was. And then this one week in eighth grade after spring break, um, they would post the results of the fastest times and I always had the fastest time. And, and, um, and then there was someone ahead of me and his name was Rocky and I had beat him for two straight years. So it didn't make any sense. It was devastating. That's actually what the whole book is about. It, that's, it is. That's the climax right yes. there. End of book. Yeah. I don't want to spoil it. <laughs> um, I could imagine that people might note that you went to Stanford. You're this incredible runner. And they might sort of, I, I will admit, I assumed a certain life for you that you had had just based on how I perceived you. Then I read the book and it was like, you really loved Steve Prefontaine because he was like a gritty yeah. runner too. Yeah. Right? Totally. Yep. I loved his, like, working-class vibes, you know? Yeah. If I could grow a mustache like that, I totally would have. Did you want to be She Fontaine? Yeah, I did. My aunt used to call me She Fontaine as a joke, and I pretended to hate it. <laughs> but, like, I mean, you grew up... Can we talk about the household that you grew up in a little bit? Like, what did running mean to you? Running was a lot of things. I mean, it was, it was a way to be in my body. It was a way to feel powerful. It was exploration. Like our cross country team would go all up and around the mountains of our town. And, and so it was, I mean, it was really like freedom, friendship, all those kinds of things. But it was also, once I became good at it and I plugged into the sports system where these big rewards like scholarships and championships, it was a way for social mobility, class mobility, free college, like really life changing. Well, I mean, the, the big part of this book is kind of your journey, uh, you know, through college and then into the pros. And you, you hit a point where you plateaued. Mm -hmm. And that happens to a lot of elite athletes where you're putting in the same amount of training, maybe even more, and you're just getting a different result. Mm -hmm. What was that like, like emotionally, mentally for you to, to have that plateau period? Yeah, it's tough because I think the, the main example in sports, sports are built around the male body and male performance norms, is that you work harder, you get better. You know, you get out what you put in. We have all kinds of refrigerator magnets along those lines. But for female-bodied people, when we go through puberty and our bodies change, we have a different normal, and it involves a plateau and sometimes a little bit of a dip before we can um, start rising again, adjusted to our new bodies, and, and then we peak in our mid to late 20s and beyond. But that's not common knowledge, and that was a big motivation for writing this book is that when female athletes are going through these changes, a lot of times coaches, well-meaning coaches and parents and teammates have them barking up the wrong tree looking for answers. Like maybe it's something in your head. Maybe you just don't care as much anymore. Maybe you're not motivated. Maybe there's some problem that, and there's really no problem. People just need to be patient and let female-bodied people develop through those years and stay healthy and the best is yet to come. I learned something from your book that I, I had never thought of before as a non-athlete is an understatement. Um, but what you're talking about creates this cycle of athletes that, female-bodied athletes that explode, but they just can't sustain it. And that's kind of the culture of yeah. athletes at this upper level? Yeah, it's, it's pretty ubiquitous across 
a lot of levels, to be honest. It's like as soon as your body starts to change, our culture views that as a negative in sport um, for women. It's like this very exciting time for male athletes. But for women, it can be like, oh, you know, I hope my body changes in a way that still works or that someone still views as successful. And we have this very mistakenly narrow view of what success can look like, what excellence can look like in a female body. And, um, and that leads to a whole outbreak of eating disorders and you know, mental health problems beyond that. And uh, it's all very preventable. And so I write about this because it's like a very common problem, but it, it's something that with just a little bit of consciousness raising, of really basic stuff, honestly, like periods and boobs, really. Like if we can just kind of all be more aware of these things. I want to I want to ask you a little bit more about that and about your journey and some really interesting things that you write about happening to your body as you were moving through this uh, in a moment. We've got to take a quick break. This is Livewire. We're talking to Lauren Fleshman. Her latest book is Good for a Girl. Coming to you this week from the Holt Center in Eugene, Oregon. Back in a moment. Hey, Elena. Hey, Luke. I didn't see you there. It's that time of year again. My seasonal allergies are back. Oh, congratulations. But also, it's our spring member drive, which is happening right now through May 17th. Oh, I like that much more than seasonal allergies. Yeah, if you are not yet a member of Livewire's League of Extraordinary Listeners, well, now is the time to do it. Why? Well, because this League of Extraordinary Listeners... Uh, is what keeps the lights on over at Livewire Inc., uh, which is definitely not the association that we are part of. I'm probably a 501c3. They don't let me near any of the paperwork mm -hmm. or bookkeeping, and it's really better that way. Yes. Point is, we, we are only able to keep doing this show because of support from our members, and we would love it if you could join us in that right now. Plus, there are all kinds of sweet perks, including... Uh, special discounted tickets to live recordings, on-air shout-outs, exclusive content. Uh, and, Elena, uh, one more thing that, of course, we would not be a self-respecting public radio show if we didn't offer this. If we didn't offer the most iconic public radio swag of all time, a tote bag. True iconic status. Yeah, but it's not just any tote bag. This is like a really good tote bag. It's got a second zipper, an internal zipper. Yes, whatever you want to put in the tote bag, that's your business, okay? What we're mm -hmm. here to talk about is you keeping LiveWire going. So head on over to LiveWireRadio.org to see the various member levels. It does not matter how much you are giving every month to LiveWire. It just matters that you do it because it goes a long way for us. So thank you. Vacations, weddings, birthdays, and reunions. Oh, my. There's so much going on. Get the most out of your spring plans by stocking up on pre-alcohol now. Zbiotics Pre-Alcohol Probiotic Drink is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Zbiotics produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. Just remember to make Zbiotics your first drink of the night, drink responsibly, and you'll feel your best tomorrow. Go to zbiotics.com/slash. LiveWire to get 15% off your first order when you use LiveWire at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with 100% money back guarantee. So if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember to head to zbiotics.com slash 
LiveWire and use the code LiveWire at checkout for 15% off. Thank you to ZBiotics for sponsoring this episode and our good times. Welcome back to LiveWire. This week, coming to you from the Holt Center for the Performing Arts here in Eugene, Oregon. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. We're talking to Lauren Fleshman about her book, Good for a Girl. One of the things that really helped you in your career, you write, uh, was that you just had like a higher pain tolerance than other people. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that that went down a little bit at a period of yeah. time when you were starting to, you know, lose weight to try to, mm-hmm. to, to sort of get faster. Well, yeah, in, in distance running and a lot of like these leanness sports, people fixate on weight as this the most important thing. Like they look at this physics formula and they're like, see, pounds of weight and movement, whatever. And there's so many other things at play, especially in the female body. When you, you may lose those three pounds or whatever, but then your menstrual cycle becomes disrupted. And when you have menstrual dysfunction, then you have this whole host of problems in your body. Like we think of the menstrual cycle as like for reproduction and whatever. Like it's it's about so much more than that. And, um, but we, we don't educate people on it like most coaches can't even say the word period without a euphemism so much less know all the things that it does and so one of the things that menstrual dysfunction causes is a decrease in pain tolerance a decrease in recovery time compromised immune function increased anxiety I mean racing is stressful enough if you're increasing your anxiety because of menstrual dysfunction it's it's not helping you in the short term or the long term well so then I mean what would be a potential solution for this? Because we're talking about running and people want to be the fastest. Yeah. How do you restructure the sport so that people are able to take care of their bodies but still be competitive? Because people still want to win, right? Yeah, they do. And it's tough because the person you're watching winning that everybody's celebrating, you can't tell what's going on underneath the skin. And it takes time for you know the bone degradation and the tendon weakening to show up. And so, And then by the time that person is struggling with health problems, there's already a new person at the top. Because you do, you can, not always, but you can get a short-term advantage from rapid weight loss, um, and that's what's happening. And so it is like a little bit of a tough cycle to break. So I think really it's about education. It's about getting people to truly understand the risks of these behaviors and the long, and most of all, like people, if people knew they'd be compromising their relationship with food and body, this and food, especially this thing you need to do multiple times a day for the rest of your life. Um, if, if coaches and teammates, if we were all more aware of the stakes, like the long-term stakes of our well-being, I think we would intervene sooner. And intervening in eating disorders sooner is correlated with a higher likelihood of recovery. But there's no policies in place right now to still still to manage um, eating disorder recovery. And so you have coaches that don't know what to do or maybe are even exploiting these athletes for a short-term benefit and kind of replacing them with the next ones that come along. Um, And that's the situation we're in. So I think we need to have mandatory coaching um, certifications to coach female-bodied people where they're educated on these basics. And I think we need protocols in high school and the NCAA for intervention with eating disorders so that you take the individual choice away from coaches, just like we've done with concussions. Like it used to be like a incident by incident decision. Is this uh, head knock bad enough or can you really get out there because the game's close? Like it takes that off the table. Now you have to follow a protocol that's in the best interest of athlete health. We were talking to Lauren Fleshman about uh, her book, Good for a Girl. Um, I was really shocked 
uh, by a statistic in this book about the way that uh, uh, female athletes in college perceive their own bodies. Mm. Because these are about as elite as you can get from an athletic standpoint. And it was shocking to me the percentage of them that feel like they need to, quote unquote, lose weight. Yeah, I mean, it's over half of these, you know, quote, fittest bodies in the NCAA. Over half feel that there's that their body needs to be changed, and over 90% of those think it's to lose weight, an average of 13 and a half pounds, which is like a leg, really. I mean, it's like, it's shocking to think that that is what's living inside people's minds, the static on a day-to-day basis, not just in their sport, but when they're in class, in their relationships, like you're wandering around your life every day thinking that something's dramatically wrong with you. And that's not obviously just athletes. That's ubiquitous, especially among women in our culture. Um, But we have to, you know, we have to do something about it. If some of these things you're talking about were instituted and it meant that times actually, like, times were slower. Mm Mm-hmm. Would that be an okay outcome in your mind? If people being healthier just meant we're just not going to run as fast because we don't want to (laughs) die, would that be an okay outcome? Honestly, yes, absolutely, 100%. Like, we make choices like that all the time. I mean, the the, the irony of this is the NCAA was created originally because so many athletes were dying in football when they started having college sports that they created the NCAA to reduce deaths by creating rules that protected athlete health. So that's why they're here. It's become more about, like, not giving athletes free cars and whatever other things we talk about, but um, but yeah, we they, we just need to hold them accountable for what is already in their mission statement to do. Yeah. Um, uh, you went pro after college, and you write it's like very different being a runner, a professional runner, than it is being like a professional basketball player or a team sport because it's like you. You are the team, and you have to find somebody to endorse you to pay for these trips you've got to take. Mm-hmm. And you're basically betting on yourself. It seems like a fairly solitary existence. What was it like for you? Yeah, it was really solitary, actually, and um, I'm glad I'm not doing that anymore, to be honest. <laughs> but um, it was it was like a... I missed team a lot because I, I fell in love with running because of my team, you know, that, that exploration, adventure, companionship, belonging, and college was a similar experience. I mean, there were a lot of difficult moments to that as well, you know, given the subjects we're talking about in this um, conversation. But that companionship, friendship, being in, in it together for a common goal is like so hard to beat. And, uh, and so I miss that. And I found like, I've realized I'm a social exerciser. So people are always surprised. Like it's hard for me to even just regularly go for runs as a retired athlete, like to even do any exercise. Cause I'm like, God, well, that is such a relief. Yeah. Like, Shoot. I'm I like, mean, what? I, I, <laughs> I think everyone hearing this feels extremely better yeah. about their life right now. Yeah. I'm like no better than my five-year-old. I'm just like, are my friends doing it? Okay, if my friends are doing it, I'll do it. Um, yeah, a lot of your professional track career took place in other countries, and I got mm-hmm. the sense that uh, the you know the rest of the world thinks about you know track and field and, and running events sort of differently than we do over here. And I don't mean here, Eugene, Oregon, because <laughs> yeah. this is its own ecosystem. It is. But you know what I mean? Like, what what do you, what do you think accounts for that? Well, I think there's a lot of history, and also there's, like, these cities that host their one big event every year, and it's become, like, a festival environment. People are invested in it. Here in the U.S., we like to move races around. Like, we move our national championships from place to place. It's hard to gain traction, plus we um, we have a really big country. But if you go to a 
a place like um, Rome always hosts this big track and field meeting and it's always packed and there's 14 different countries that have races like this in the Diamond League and I think people just look forward to it every year and also they have gambling and alcohol so that's part oh. of it. <laughs> you know, that could really add something to these track <laughs> events here in Eugene. Um, there is some really real talk in this book. Uh, real talk about, you know, yourself about your teammates and like injuries that they sustained because they were not menstruating. Mm -hmm. uh, you talk about your father's uh, uh, alcoholism. Mm -hmm. How, what's the response been from mm -hmm. the people in the book? Did you get permission from folks that you wrote about? The people who I didn't get permission from, I changed names and identifying characteristics for, and I tried to only include stories about people that were imperative to the larger mission of the book, to stop these things from happening. Um, and so, but yeah, it's, it, it's been a lot of anxiety still, even with the people who I had permission and I did interviews with, when I sent them the book, I was just like, <gasps> you know. But these are all people that care, like they care deeply. And the, the thing that I've heard from so many people that I've sent it to, that I talked to early on, were like, I kind of started to think I imagined it all, you know? And it was so good to read your book because I'm realizing like I didn't imagine it. How messed up is that? <laughs> um, what's harder, uh, writing a book or like running a 5K at the sort of national championship <laughs> oh, level? Because one lasts for like for you like 15 minutes, the 5K. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The other is like what, like 15 months, 15 <laughs> lifetimes? Like three years. Um, the, the 5K is definitely a unique kind of pain. It's like a little bit of like an icicle in the eyeball for 15 straight minutes. But God, I wonder why more people aren't into track with that kind of sales pitch. <laughs> but yeah, writing a book was just like a lot of slow loneliness. And like I said, I am a social person. I'm a social exerciser. It turns out I probably also need a job where I'm around people. So I'm going to do some reevaluating how I'm going to approach the next writing project. Um, I know you have a couple of kids and you have a daughter, right? I do. Are you hoping that she becomes a competitive runner? Um, what part of my motivation for writing this book is that when I thought about the potential of my daughter becoming an athlete, I felt scared. Even though sports brought me the life I have, which I love, and brought me so many great memories, and I'm not alone in that. These teammates that I reached out to and talked to about this with their kids, they had the same fears. But I think that putting this out there and trying to raise consciousness about these issues, having coaches respond, parents respond, athletes respond, it is changing the way people think about like the typical female experience and what we need to make space for in sports. And so I do feel more safe about my daughter participating if that's what she wants to do. Right on. It's a great book about running and life by Lauren Fleshman. It's called Good for a Girl. Lauren, thanks for coming on Livewire. Thank you. That was Lauren Fleshman recorded live at the Holt Center in Eugene, Oregon. Her book, Good for a Girl, My Life Running in a Man's World is out now. Hey, special thanks this episode to Hallie Sadel of Portland, Oregon. Hallie is a part of the Livewire member community and is generously supporting the program with a donation each month. And we could not be more appreciative of that support because it's how we are able to keep doing Livewire week in and week out. Hallie has just been an amazing friend of the show. For, for many years. So thanks, Hallie, for your extra special help this week in keeping Livewire going. This is Livewire. Of course, each week we ask our listeners a question 
in uh, honor of Lauren Fleshman's incredible accomplishments, we asked our listeners, what is a record you would like to break? Elena has been collecting up those responses. What are folks saying? Uh, I love this one from Brian. Brian would like to break the record for fastest traveler through TSA. (laughs) That would just be a reward in itself, right? (laughs) I feel like I might actually be able to qualify at least for the regionals on that because I travel so much for work that I have just every nanosecond planned out. My dad, Tony P, friend of the show, uh, was a traveling salesperson his whole life. And he, his goal was always to never stop walking. Once you get out of your car, (laughs) you walk through TSA, you walk through the thing, you walk through the line and you walk onto the plane. I love it. Just like a cartoon character who's sleepwalking and just passing through each barrier unknowingly. That's great. All right. What's another record that one of our listeners wants to break? Oh, this one's charming from Kevin. I would like to break the record for person who makes my wife laugh the most. <gasps> Aww. That's a relationship that I think is, is going to do just fine. I mean, what we don't talk about enough is that most of a relationship is just trying to make the other person laugh. That's like 98% of it. And not in the bad way. Not like by like, no. you know, laughing, like laughing at, at yeah. them or being laughed at. Or if somebody's like laughing maniacally, like, hello, honey, have a good night. <laughs> I don't want that kind of laughter in a relationship No, that tells either. you that you may be married to the Count from Sesame Street. If that's <laughs> Which actually, happening. I mean, he could get it. So Yeah, absolutely. Yes, this is the show where we say the Count can get it. Sure. <laughs> one more record that one of our listeners would love to set. Okay, here's one from Michael. Uh, Michael says, Escape, the Pina Colada song by Rupert Holmes. That is the record that Michael oh, would most like to it. break. Okay, okay. <laughs> that song, if you listen to the lyrics of that song, it is nuts. It's edgy. Two it's people edgy. that don't want to be married to each other right. anymore put a cheating ad in a paper, mm-hmm. discover that they did it to each other, and then just laugh it off. Yeah, just kind of walk slowly into the sunset, pina coladas in hand. Just, <laughs> you know what? Just when you're at the karaoke bar and you dial that one up, just sing your little heart out and let's not focus on the narrative. Right. There are so many songs that are like that. Exactly. All right. Thanks to uh, everyone who sent in a response to our listener question. We've got one for next week's show as well, which we will reveal in just a few minutes. In the meantime, let's get our next guest on over to the program. He's a TV writer and enrolled Cowlitz Indian tribal member. Most recently, he created, wrote, and directed the Comedy Central digital series Gone Native, which delves into the weird microaggressions that Native people often deal with and what we all can do to try to cut that stuff out. His award-winning short films have also screened everywhere from the Just for Laughs Festival to the Smithsonian Museum. Joey Clift joined us on stage at the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland, Oregon. Check this out. You and I were emailing last night, and um, I I believe you said something like, I don't want to make working out my entire personality, but I am emailing you from the treadmill. (laughs) Can you uh, elaborate on why that was the case? Uh, Yeah, so I, for the first time in my life, have gotten a personal trainer to get in shape for my first and only professional wrestling match in a few weeks. (laughs) Um, As you can tell, I'm a very noodle-armed weakling. This is radio. I mean, you could be like Ric Flair for all they know. Yeah, yeah, actually, everybody listening, uh, it worked. I'm jacked. I'm seven feet tall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who are wait? Who are you wrestling? How did you get like involved in this? 
Uh, okay, so um, I am wrestling um, three really great wrestlers, uh, Leroy Patterson, Peter Avalon, and um, Howdy Price. They've wrestled for a lot of different TV companies, and um, the reason that I'm wrestling them is that there's a, the Venn diagram of LA comedians to, to pro wrestlers, there's a small amount of bleed over. There's a few wrestlers <laughs> who do comedy, there's a few comedians who do wrestling, and um, I'm friends with a few of these wrestlers. They know that I'm a huge wrestling dork. And um, they invited me and a few of my friends to guest on a, a comedy pro wrestling web series called Being the Elite. And um, basically they brought us in because one of them was doing a storyline where they lost their hat. They were trying to get their hat back. And they brought me and my friends in as the Hat Boys, three guys who like hats and are experts about hats. Uh, of course, that's web- your wrestling backstory. Yeah, yeah, that's my wrestling backstory. Nice. Huge hat enthusiast, as you can I tell. I feel by like my you're going in as an underdog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think I'm going in to win. I'm going. Look, I took a personal trainer. I emailed you from the treadmill. Yeah, I'm trying did. really hard at this. <laughs> uh, so, of course, the web series ended with us getting beaten up, uh, no question. And now we want revenge. That's pretty much the the pieces on the table for it. Um, other than uh, trying to build your body into the beef castle that we here at the Alberta Rose Theater can all see. <laughs> Um, you've been writing and directing a series of digital shorts for Comedy Central called Gone Native. How did that all come together? So um, the Gone Native came from um, a few years ago. Uh, a few friends of mine were um, posting on Facebook about a protest against the um, the Washington, D.C. NFL team, which pre- previously had a name that was a little racist. Okay, a lot racist. <laughs> and um, somebody commented on the post saying something to the effect of, I just got my DNA test in the mail, and it says that I'm like 164th Indian, and I think the team name is fine. So everybody, <laughs> lay off. And of Did course, you find that argument unpersuasive? Oh, yeah, yeah. I definitely read it, and I was like, wow, he makes a lot of good points. Good take, bro. Um, and I really wanted to have something to share with this person to you know, maybe explain to him why what he was saying wasn't the best thing, but the only things that I could really find were like longer think pieces mm. and things that like I'm not gonna convince a random Facebook person to read an eight-page think piece about this. So instead I created an animated short called Telling People You're Native American When You're Not Native is a lot like telling a bear you're a bear when you're not a bear. The title is 24 words long, basically a Fiona Apple album title of a short <laughs> film name. And, um, you know, I created it kind of to, like, hopefully educate people like that, you know, through jokes in an easy-to-digest way about, you know, just like microaggressions Native folks run into. And, um, you know, I, I originally made it just to kind of play at a comedy show in Los Angeles. It did really well, so I submitted it for the festival circuit. It did really well there, and then um, I got connected through a thing called the Yes and Laughter Lab to um, people at Comedy Central who you know, really dug it, and they brought me on board to um, make a bunch of other shorts, and eventually this Gone Native digital series, which is just a slew of shorts about Native stuff that annoys me. <laughs> like, what are some of the other things that you're tackling? So uh, one of the shorts is about you know, non-Natives using the term spirit animal, calling meetings powwows and things like that. And uh, the short is called, um, every time you say that something is your spirit animal, you have to give every Native American person you know $25. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then uh, we've got another short. It's called, Dear Legendary Horror Author Stephen King, instead of using Indian burial grounds in your books, have you thought about using European burial grounds? (laughs) Because Europe's terrifying. Paris is built literally on a mountain of human bones. Yeah, has, has Stephen King heard about this? Because I feel like you make a pretty compelling argument that he needs to come up with a new trope. Right. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I'm not sure if he's heard of it, although I, I do, I, I look at his Twitter and I feel like he might have subtweeted me because he said something about, um, 
I forget the exact tweet, but it was something to the effect of just like, writers should be able to do whatever with no consequence or something. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I think you might have watched my video and you might be annoyed. Mm -hmm. um, the, the video where you're asking people to not be casually or maybe not even so casually racist uh, towards Native folks with the kind of things that they say, and there's so many of those things that are ingrained in white culture that we don't even think about what the implications are. It's obviously also being played for comedy. You're, I mean, the, the penalties that you're proposing are pretty extreme, but they're also funny. And I'm watching it, and I'm like, oh, that's a good thing to remember to not say that. And also, wouldn't it be funny if I had to give a house to someone? <laughs> like, that would be financially crippling. And then I look in the YouTube comments, and people are like, you really think I'm going to give you a house if I say that? Like, I feel like some people are not getting the comedy value of these things. And, like... Is that, I mean, are, are, do you feel like that's still accomplishing your mission of at least bringing up the conversation for people? Because I just feel like a lot of folks are missing the point. Yeah, um, I think it's very funny when people think that they're YouTube videos that are two minutes long and mainly feature a cartoon bear mauling somebody <laughs> don't tackle all sides of the issue perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I guess to answer your question... I think that people get defensive whenever they feel in any way challenged or like their worldview might be, you know, being changed a little bit. And I think that for Native folks, um, there's a statistic by a really good um, Native-run nonprofit called Illuminative that learned through a really great study they put on that 87% of U.S. schools don't teach Native history after 1900. And, you know, that's something that just like talking to non-Native folks, I definitely feel all the time of, you know, people asking me like, if I was born in a teepee, if my reservation had electricity growing up and stuff like that. And, you know, I think that the people that are asking this are doing it from a, you know, not a place of malice, but a place of just ignorance. So I think that for, you know, those like YouTube commenters, there is this feeling of like their worldview is being changed by just the idea of native people still existing, <laughs> being put into their mindset. And that being something that like they're just annoyed about and crabby about. And um, I totally get it. I remember when... Um, when Pluto was declassified as a planet, <laughs> yeah. I was furious. <laughs> so, you know, I totally get the idea of, like, something that you believed might not be, you know, accurate and feeling a little bit of anger about it. But, you know, I also think that if those are the kinds of people that are getting mad at my video, I feel like I'm doing a pretty good job. Right. You know? We're talking to Joey Clift. got a bunch of things going, including the video series um, uh, Gone Native. Now, uh, what are you hoping to accomplish with the series as far as moving the needle, um, I guess, solving racism completely? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Between, somewhere between moving the needle and solving racism completely? Wow, that's the first time anybody has ever asked me that question. You know, I'm a comedian. I, I came up with, you know, ideas for videos towards stuff that I'm passionate about, and I made them because I thought they'd be funny. But I think that for me... It's less going into it with like a broad, I'm doing this to, you know, shape minds or whatever. And more of a position of like, a lot of really cool stuff has come out of it. Like um, the, uh, the bear short that I mentioned uh, a second ago, um, I've seen, you know, comments from people on TikTok that have said that their kids who are native get bullied at school and for a long time they didn't really know how to combat that. And now they just say, hey, you better stop bullying me or you're gonna get mauled by a bear. <laughs> and that I've like equipped just like native kids and like, you know, just like people with like an easy joke that they can use as mm. ammo in, you know, something that might be like a weird racial microaggression situation. It's like, oh yeah, that was not my intention when I just wanted to make a video with a guy getting mauled by a bear over and over again. But like after the fact, 
hell yeah, you know. <laughs> um, I know that you're also a pretty deep in the world of Cats. Oh, hell and yeah. And not the yeah. musical, although maybe that too. Also, also the musical. But, okay. Nice. But uh, do, you, I, do you maintain a Facebook page for uh, celebrity cats or the cats of um, celebrities? Yeah, I, so I created a Facebook page called the LA Underground Cat Network, which is a Facebook page uh, for Los Angeles comedians to share pictures of their cats. It has 15,000 members. <laughs> <laughs> and it's uh, created two offshot groups. Uh, if, the, if you're wondering if the reason for that is drama in the first group, you are very right. Wow. <laughs> what? Is the drama, spill the tea, Joey Clift, oh, okay. about the what's going on at the main L.A. <laughs> underground Cat okay. Network Facebook page? Okay, so, oh, man, I've, I've been waiting to, to, to vent about this. Yeah! Uh, so the L.A. underground Cat Network uh, split of 2019 was, uh, originally the group was uh, created to share cute cat videos, and then it became, honestly, this really um, useful resource for like people in the L.A. cat rescue community. Mm. And the comedians were like, why is this useful stuff being posted? <laughs> and the cat rescue people were like, why, why are like, cute pictures of cats being shared? So then I created a group specifically for the cat rescue people to kind of do their thing. And then there were like people that were like, hey, wait a second. People are posting stuff that isn't just cute cat photos in the main group. They're also posting like funny stories. I just want photos and videos. <laughs> so then I had to create a third group that was like, this is just photos and videos. <laughs> yeah. Joey Clift, everyone. Yeah. That was Joey Clift right here on Livewire. You can catch Gone Native on YouTube and that wrestling match that he was talking about, the Hat Boys, it happened last week, right, Elena? Yeah, I, uh, I'm a big fan of Joey's on social media, so I was so happy to see a picture of the three Hat Boys making evil poses in front of an Arby's sign. Of course, Because sure. it's a big hat, yeah. <laughs> uh, if you want to see how that all went down, you can uh, check out Joey's Twitter account, where he's been documenting all of it. It's at Joeytainment. All right, this is Livewire. I'm Luke Burbank. That's Elena Passarella. We have to take a very quick break, but don't go anywhere because when we come back, uh, we are going to talk to a indie supergroup from Seattle. Who is she? And we're not only going to hear some great music, but we're going to hear the story on how they got in big trouble at an NHL game because they changed a lyric to be about Jeff Bezos, and it was at an arena named by Amazon.com. So stick around for that. It's coming up in a minute. Livewire is thrilled to be partnering with Portland's own Portal Tea this season. Formerly known as Tea Chai Tay, Portal Tea is the premier tea company in the Pacific Northwest. And they make one-of-a-kind handcrafted tea blends like cinnamon churro chai and blueberry cream earl grey. Use the code LIVEWIRE, all lowercase, for 20% off at portaltea.co. Welcome back to LiveWire from PRX. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. Before we get to our musical guest, a little preview of next week's show, we are going to be talking to our friend, the writer John Mualam, writes for the New York Times Magazine. His latest book of essays is called Serious Face. It's really incredible. And it explains, among other things, 
why you might not want to text your friend a picture of a Spanish bullfighter that you saw somewhere because you think it looks exactly like them. This happened to John Mualem. Plus, we are going to meet chef and bar owner Jenny Wynn, who opened what might be the world's first sports bar that only plays women's sports on the televisions. It's called The Sports Bra. So let that sink in for a minute. One of the great sports bar names of all time. Uh, it just so happens to be right here in Portland, Oregon. Then we're going to hear some music from our friend, the one, the only, Laura Veers. And as always, we're going to be looking to get your answers to our listener question. Elena, what are we asking the listeners for next week's show? We want to know, nay, we have to know, what is your dream business? And I like that this is open. So this could be a dream business that you yourself would like to mm-hmm. run or a dream business that you'd like to patronize, I'm assuming. Or a dream you had about a business that makes no sense. <laughs> right. It's like, I don't know why I was at an espresso stand with snakes. <laughs> all right. If you've got an answer, send them in. We're uh, all over the social medias at Livewire Radio. All right. This is Livewire from PRX. Our musical guests this week are a Seattle-based indie supergroup. They feature members of Taco Cat, Chastity Belt, and Lisa Prank. The band started out as a songwriting and friendship project based on Missed Connections ads, and they released a debut record called Seattle Gossip. Take a listen to Who Is She here on Livewire, recorded at Town Hall in Seattle, Washington. Hello there. Hi. <laughs> Hi, welcome to the show. Thank you for doing this. Thanks for having us. We're stoked. Can I get a little bit um, more explanation of how a musical group based on misconnections ads works? How did that work in the early days? Well, we got obsessed with the misconnection ads and like Craigslist and The Stranger and, the yeah. stranger and um, started writing songs that were just based on them. <laughs> so a lot of them were like, I saw you on the bus and I didn't say hi because I'm too shy. <laughs> and so at what point did you, because it sounds like this started out, you're all in other bands that are, have great acclaim here in Seattle. Uh, when did you realize, oh, this is also going to be a thing that we're going to do and go out and play shows and put out albums? Well, you know, uh, me and Emily are in Taco Cat and... <laughs> Thank you. And Julia's in Chastity Belt, and I'm yeah. in Childbirth with her, and Robin's in Lisa Prank, and it was just fun to write those songs, so we just kept doing it. We are, did an album, and we're going to do another album this year. Uh, you also got, uh, you sort of made your way into the news uh, recently <laughs> when you were playing a gig at the, um, the hockey game, the Kraken game, and there's this song by Le Tigre, well, it's My Metro Card, was the original version, and in it yeah. they kind of like... Well, can you tell me the story of how you ended up doing your version of that song at the hockey game? Well, first of all, I'll just say we're all a little nervous because the last show we played, we got fired. So (laughs) please don't fire us. I promise you, if they haven't fired me yet, they're not going to fire you. I was in the light rail and I was texting Brie about how we should write a version of La Tigre, like Seattle-based one, because, you know, I love my Orca card. We all ride public transportation a lot. <laughs> Shout out to Orca Cards. And so we adjusted their song, My Metro Card, or by My Metro Card, to By My Orca Card. And in the La Tigre version, they have a line to see Giuliani. And we were like, 
oh shoot, we gotta update this Orca card song to have a local villain, so we changed the line about Giuliani to be about Jeff Bezos. Which, <laughs> which, um, which took on a, a certain resonance because you were playing in Climate Pledge Arena, which is yeah. owned by Amazon or paid for by Amazon. <laughs> When did it become clear to you that they were not, as they say, super stoked? Um, when we were asked to not come back for the next two nights. <laughs> well, I feel like it immediately made you heroes to a certain segment of this city and region. Um, so. Without, without further inquisition, could we hear the song banned at Climate Pledge Arena? My Orca card from Uchi. That was Who Is She here on Livewire, recorded at Town Hall in Seattle. Their album, Seattle Gossip, is available now. All right, that's going to do it for this week's episode of the show. A huge thanks to our guests, Lauren Fleshman, Joey Clift, and Who Is She? 
LiveWire is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines. Laura Haddon is our executive producer. Heather D. Michelle is our executive director. Our producer and editor is Melanie Sevchenko. Our assistant editor is Trey Hester. Our marketing manager is Paige Thomas. Our production fellow is Tanvi Kumar. And Yasmin Median is our intern. Our house band is Ethan Fox Tucker, Sam Tucker, A.L. Alves, and A. Walker Spring, who also composes our music. Molly Pettit is our technical director and mixer, and our house sound is by D. Neil Blake. Additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council and the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation. Livewire was created by Robin Tenenbaum and Kate Sokoloff. This week, we'd like to thank member Hallie Sadel of Portland, Oregon. For more information about our show or how you can listen to our podcast, skedaddle on over to livewireradio.org. I'm Luke Burbank for Elena Passarello and the whole Livewire crew. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Livewire. When we first met, I was really shy. I had no idea we'd spend so much time together or that you'd be one to fill my heart with, with joy and make me want to be a better person. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were here. I was busy reading a review from one of our many, many rapturously smitten listeners. Oh, wait, actually, no, sorry. This is from Elena. Anyway, the point is, uh, it would be really helpful if you wanted to leave us a review Feel free to say really nice things about us, and uh, we'll even read them now and then on the show. So you might hear your review of Livewire read on the program itself. Uh, Reviews help other people hear about the show, and then we can keep doing this for a long, long time because we love having this job. Uh, Thank you so much if you've left a review, and if you're about to leave a review, you can go ahead and do it right where you get the podcast.